the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. We don't need no education. We don't need no thought control. Get ready to take notes, because school is now in session. Tackling the biggest issues in education, this is Education America. Save the classroom, save the country. Here are your hosts, Headmaster Rebecca Hagstrom and co-host Mark Durkin. And welcome to Education America, where we are taking steps to save the classroom so that we can save the country. Come along with us here every Saturday night on AM 1280 The Patriot at 6 p.m. sharp, where K-12 education is the playing field. And as the 16th President Abraham Lincoln so succinctly stated, he said, the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation will be the philosophy of government in the next. I'm Mark Durkin, joined by my co-host and founder of Liberty Classical Academy, Rebecca Hegstrom. Yeah, good evening. Good to see you, Mark. Nice to see you as well. Yes, we're thick into the Christmas season here. Yes, it is. It's coming mm, fast. It, it always is. goes like right from Thanksgiving through New Year's. It is a whirlwind. It, it yeah. is. It is a whirlwind, I agree. <laughs> so hang on as mm-hmm. we are <laughs> going mm-hmm. right through this season, of course. And well, Speaking of what's coming up very soon, Minnesota's 2022 legislative session will commence next month. And with the new calendar year, Minnesota public schools will once again be fully funded. But what does this mean? Will the monies be used to help close the achievement gap in reading proficiencies? Will any of the funding help expand choice options for Minnesota's families? And will funding allow, follow rather Minnesota's families and what's best for them as opposed to following an ideological system that is increasingly subject to scrutiny. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's a good question. And joining us to break this down, um, how the most recent funding bill signed into law will impact Minnesota K-12 schools is State Senator Michelle Benson. And Michelle um, is from District 31, and it stretches from the northern suburbs of the Twin Cities metro to rural Minnesota in Anoka, Sherburne, and Isanti counties. Her electoral success is due in large part to the results that she's delivered at the legislative level. Senator Benson has chaired the powerful State Senate uh, Health and Human Services Committee since 2017, and her passion for education led her to serve as a board member for the Challenger Learning Center of Minnesota and the Way of the Shepherd Montessori School. She was first elected in 2010 and has been challenging the status quo ever since. Her latest election in 2020 saw her get more votes than any Republican Senate candidate in the entire state. This year, Senator Benson announced her candidacy for governor in 2022 because she says we need to make the voice of all Minnesotans important again. Senator Benson, thank you so much for joining us tonight on Education America. I'm glad to be with you. Awesome. Well, we're going to jump right in, Senator, and let's talk about the fact that the uh, 2022 legislative session is set to begin on January 31st. And as you've been speaking with constituents in your district and from all over the state, 
What are people saying to you about the state of education here in Minnesota? And what are their concerns? As you know, Tim Walls shut down our schools for a good part of COVID. And elementary schools, in fact, could have been safely opened. Uh, private schools, as you are very familiar, open, were able to mitigate the risk to students and teachers. The outcome of that is that parents' eyes were wide open as to what was going on in the classroom that had been transferred to their home. Mm-hmm. And they are, I, I hope they're never going back. Yeah. They are aware mm-hmm. that academic standards aren't what they thought they were. They learned that there was activism going on in the classroom. Yes, CRT, but other things as well. Mm-hmm. And they really want our schools to go back to education, not indoctrination, mm-hmm. and focus on the needs of the child. And it has raised the specter of a, a robust school choice conversation where money follows the child and parents are making those critical education decisions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I know, I remember last, uh, was it last spring, last spring or maybe even last fall, um, you were pretty active too in helping support parents who wanted their kids to be back in school and with ma- without masks and what have you and having kind of independent choices. And I think you even hosted a forum, didn't you? Um, a, a Zoom forum for people to be able to speak out? Yes, yes, about about masking in the classrooms, which, as you and I know, interfered with some education or some emotional growth in children, made it much harder for them to understand their teachers. And yeah. um, there was a way other countries around the world did not mask children as young as the children we were masking. Mm-hmm. Um, they kept their kids in school and yeah. tried to give their children as much normalcy as possible. Mm-hmm. Other countries you're talking about, and yeah, and why in the world did we not follow that model is beyond me. And, I, I agree. How about instruction, too, in phonetics for yes. younger kids? Yeah, I've that talked about that so often that uh, to try to teach a child how to read when they're wearing a mask and when the teacher is wearing a mask is absurd. You can't do it. I actually interviewed a candidate for a position who was trying to do that in a setting where they were requiring masks. And the teacher said the kids are not learning to read. They can't because they can't see your lips. (laughs) They can't see, they can't hear the sounds. They can't see your lips. And so we have really uh, relegated kids to, um, we, and we're seeing this come out, play out through the test scores too. We're relegating them to having missed an entire year's worth of learning. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there was a McKinsey study that talked about how far behind kids are getting. Mm-hmm. And, and I know we're going to talk about the achievement gap, or I call yeah. it the opportunity gap yeah. here in Minnesota, but it, the children who were already impacted by the opportunity gap in Minnesota, mm-hmm. according to the McKinsey study, were impacted even more right. by schools being shut down yeah. by the masking. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. we have a lot of catching up to do and a lot of focused attention mm-hmm. on helping kids catch up is what it's going to take. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Let's turn our focus here a little bit. Uh, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, the, the monies going towards uh, the child's uh, mm-hmm. education experience, the development of uh, the academics. Let's let's discuss some of the uh, specifics surrounding education funding that was in the final budget bill that was signed into law earlier this year, earlier over the summer. Uh, you know, once again, Senate Republicans they were aiming to make sure that Minnesota's K through 12 schools fully funded. SF 960 was a bipartisan education omnibus bill 
that passed in the Senate back in April, and it was touted as a bill that transforms the way the state of Minnesota delivers education. Uh, Senator Benson, what were the highlights in this bill, and how much of them were included in the final funding that was signed into law? Does the, does, does the funding sig- signed into law expand choice for parents and families? Unfortunately, no, but I have to say, Senator Roger Chamberlain, who you've worked with and know well, is an absolute champion for putting children at the center of education. So if they need support for dyslexia, diagnosis, and instruction based on a child's special needs, um, he's an advocate for teachers being trained in science-based reading, and I know uh, that's on on some of your topics today, and yes. he absolutely wanted parents in charge of education. And there was a group of moms who was helping him, trying to be a strong voice for the needs of their children and the money that the state claimed to be spending on their children to follow the needs of their child. And education, or ESA's education savings accounts were at the center of Senator Chamberlain's bill. Mm-hmm. In the end, Governor Walls wasn't going to sign a budget that let money follow the child. He wanted money into the status quo system. And so we were not able to expand choice options with this governor. It's going to take a different governor. It's going to take somebody who is not wholly owned subsidiary of Education Minnesota. Mm -hmm. Before I talk about how the other legislators responded to ESAs, I do want to just ask you this question, Senator Benson. Um, When it comes to the ESAs, And the final negotiations, um, you know, there's always that option of drawing the line in the sand and saying, this is so important because we see kids failing at such disproportional numbers, um, especially in the inner city, um, that we believe it's worth shutting the government down over. And I know that in this particular round, um, that wasn't going to happen. Um, If you were governor... What would be your stance on that? Would you be willing to draw that line in the sand and say this is so important that we need to um, shut the government down over it? What shutting the government down means is that we don't pay prison guards Mm -hmm. and we don't fund nursing homes. So it's not as it was in the past. Right. People thought it was just about beer delivery Mm -hmm. and state parks. And so it would depend on what other budget bills had gotten passed. Mm -hmm. And in this case, um, every budget bill was being held up. And so I would, shutting down the government is a last resort, Mm -hmm. but it shouldn't Mm -hmm. be off the table completely. Mm -hmm. Um, And and as governor, I just say, Mm -hmm. I don't know what the problem is with money following the child. If you trust parents, and if you're interested in the best outcomes for kids, then you need to give parents the responsibility Mm -hmm. for making choices for their children. Mm -hmm. What I find in schools where parents have that choice, they're engaged with the teachers Mm -hmm. and kids rise to the challenge Mm -hmm. of parents and teachers partnering and setting high standards. Mm -hmm. And so it is worth going to the brink to make sure that kids are the priority in our education system and not the status quo. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look at how fast the rest of the world is changing, Mm -hmm. our education system is clearly not keeping up. And I'm not just talking about workforce. I'm talking about adaptive technology. I'm talking about individualized education. Mm -hmm. They're not keeping up. And, you know, I'm going to be really respectful of Senator Chamberlain. 
I have not seen anybody fight harder for education choice Mm -hmm. in my 10 years Mm -hmm. in the legislature. And so if he says if he says it couldn't get done, but I will tell you, he tried to keep the formula very even so that Mm -hmm. it wasn't tilted towards districts that aren't doing a good job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he worked really hard on literacy because he knows that lifting up literacy in our Minnesota students will make their life better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Science-based instruction is really important. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, l- going back to the education savings accounts, and, and I do, I agree with you. I know that Roger, uh, Senator Chamberlain worked, has been a champion for school choice for a very, very long time. Um, I And I wasn't implying, uh, just to be clear, the, yeah. the negotiations, I don't think he was even involved in those final negotiations. So um, I just, as, as governor, I think you would be obviously. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on and, that. And it would be, Oops. it would be clear to me mm-hmm. that money following the child at, running for governor. I've been saying three things about education. We empower parents. Curriculum can be put on a website so you can see what your kids are reading. Mm-hmm. Money follows the child means that if you like your local public school, you go there. Right. Mm-hmm. If you want mm-hmm. a special classroom experience because your child has autism or another disability, mm-hmm. go find a charter school or private school that meets that child's needs. And then last but not least, high standards mm-hmm. with no excuses. Right. Um, our system is not keeping up with the way our kids are learning and what the world's going to expect of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those are good. Those are good uh, topics and points to make on education. Um, so with respect to the education accounts and with respect to the rest of the legislator or the legislature, um, the final funding bill, as we said, doesn't include the ESAs. Um, and it does ignore the fact that 74% of African American parents and 71% of Hispanic parents are supportive of education savings accounts. Um, they would empower parents to take charge of their children's education, just like you stated. So can you take us into the discussions that were had with the governor and your dissenting colleagues? How did they respond when they were presented with the research and data, really, that overwhelmingly affirms the the national success of education savings account and support for school choice? And I wasn't in discussions with the governor, but I know in general, Republican colleagues were willing to do some level of ESAs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Senator Chamberlain and I probably would have gone further yeah, than yes. a lot of our colleagues. Mm-hmm. But the governor was doing exactly what Education Minnesota told him to do. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so no amount of research and data was going to overwhelm that political decision. Yeah, yeah. Even though it helps, of course, disproportionately minority groups, which they claim that they're trying to support. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. You mentioned, uh, Senator Benson, uh, Senator Chamberlain's uh, championing of uh, literacy efforts here in the state of Minnesota. In fact, last spring, the the Senate's version of that education omnibus bill did include funding to expand the uh, much-heralded letters teacher training program. And for our listeners who may not be familiar with that, that's a program that is described as the consensus approach to training educators on how to properly teach reading to young students. Now, all one has to do is take a look at the 2019 Minnesota Report Card that's put out uh, by the Department of Education, and it shows um, just how substantial the gap is when it comes to reading proficiencies for all students tested in K through 12. Now, just to give you a couple of numbers, white students were on average at about a 67 and a half percent proficiency uh, in reading uh, Asian students at uh, 54 percent proficiency. 
uh, Hispanic and Latino students at 38% proficiency, with black and African-American students rounding out at 34%. Did, did, did the final funding, Senator Benson, uh, include for the expansion of the letters teaching program? And if it did, how successful has this program been in other parts of the country, just to give our listeners an idea? Sure. And yes, there was an expansion of the letters program. It's a science-based program. So they actually measure uh, if the program works, which is, I hate to say novel for <laughs> government, mm-hmm. but there are a lot of people who think something's a good idea and they write their PhD paper on it and it gets implemented and nobody says, did it work? Mm-hmm. Letters has really stood up and said, we will tell you if it works. Mississippi implemented this and they had really struggled with literacy and now are seeing the most significant improvements in literacy in the country. They've got mm-hmm. catching up to do. Yes, they are on a path so that children at all income levels across their state, regardless of their ethnic or minority status, are being lifted up. Mm-hmm. And yes. I was doing some reading this morning. Seven in 10 prisoners do not read at fourth grade level or higher. I have heard I want that you to kind think of about data. What that yes. means. Yep, yep. And mm-hmm. think about what that means. And and let's look more broadly. If a, if a child isn't reading in fourth grade and everybody else around them is, then they go to fifth grade and now they're further behind. Mm-hmm. In right. sixth grade, they're further behind. At some point, they just get frustrated and drop out. Mm-hmm. So what do they do when they drop out? Well, they're not productive citizens. 90% of our jobs require a high school diploma mm-hmm. or GED. Mm-hmm. And so if you're not employable and you can't read, what right. do you do? Right. Well, mm-hmm. you end up in non-productive activities, let's just put it that way, right. in crime, and then you end up in the prison system. So what is the cost to the life of that person and to our society by not investing in early literacy? Yeah. I, yeah. I want people to really think about when someone questions what happens if a child doesn't read? That's mm-hmm. what happen, happens mm-hmm. when a child can't read. Yeah, I 100% agree with you on that. And clearly the, the data bears that out. And I do think that it's easy to not think about the ramifications of not being able to read. Um, or maybe even just maybe people don't even realize how many people graduate with the inability to read. And um, you know, you assume if somebody's been given a high school diploma that they can read, but I know in Minneapolis that is not the case. Uh, many of the kids who are graduating from Minneapolis do not have reading proficiency at um, a sustainable level that where they can really be productive citizens. So let's switch our attention um, to the recently uh, drafted third draft of the social studies standards, Doctor or Doctor Senator Benson. Um, what details can you share with us pertaining to the latest draft of these proposed social studies standards? You know, it is in draft, and we have until mid next week. I'm trying to find the exact dates. I'm sorry. No, that's um, okay. The open the open comment period started Monday, November fifteenth, and it closes January 14th at 4.30. Okay. So if you go to the education.mn.gov site mm-hmm. and search for social studies standards, mm-hmm. you can look at the standards and you can comment. And this is, as you said, the third draft. And then the rule goes in for review with an administrative law judge. Mm-hmm. And early on, they left out some basic things. 
like the Holocaust. Yes. <laughs> World War One. Right. Um, and this is what happens when activists decide that the education system is to move forward their political agenda mm-hmm. instead of helping children as they grow to become well-rounded adults ready to function in the world. If you do not understand history, how are you going to understand our political climate? How are you going to understand the world that came before you? History didn't start the day you started remembering what happened. Mm -hmm. And so having perspective of the sacrifice that was made, Mm -hmm. of the work that was done, how different people's lives were, by leaving those things out, they leave children with the impression that whatever exists now is the immediate and the important. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. activism in establishing these standards very problematic. Um, The draft now... Go ahead. ahead. Well, I was just going to say, interestingly, um, they are also very much creating activists in the standards um, of a very particular viewpoint. So that was one of the things that really struck me about even the second draft standards. I haven't looked at the third draft yet, um, but they were very activist-oriented, even in the elementary grades, even as young as kindergarten, first and second grade. So go ahead. I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead, Senator Chamber. No, no, that's okay. So there's a lot of time spent in these standards talking about Native American history. And in Minnesota, we do have a lot of Native Americans. Um, but that needs to be a part of the conversation and not the primary driver. Mm-hmm. And we do have some catching up to do to understand what happened in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. But it can't replace the rest of our learning um, or crowd out other standards that Mm -hmm. need to be discussed. And people are worried about things like critical race theory. Mm -hmm. And so when you put in ethnic studies as a fifth strand for social studies, Mm -hmm. that gives a place for people to talk about how we're divided Mm -hmm. instead of how we might be different, but we all have the same goals and objectives. We live in America. We are fortunate to live here. We should all be free. We should all have opportunity. Instead, we talk about dominant and non-dominant cultures and narratives. And if we are dividing children, then we are not creating a solid future for our country. Yeah, very good. I think another uh, point to, to really illustrate here, Senator Benson, is that when the original social studies standards were passed in 2004, it was done by the legislature. And now, from what we understand, the legislature is no longer involved in the process of drafting or voting on these proposed standards. Why was the legislator, to your best of knowledge, removed from voting on the social studies standards? And is the body doing anything now to reclaim its rightful position as elected representatives to be the voice of the people when it comes to the revising of the standards? Before I let you answer, I just have to bring it up that when we talk about comprehensive sex education, I mean, that was a very vivid debate and it was voted Mm -hmm. upon, especially Mm -hmm. I, I can... Think about uh, Representative Lucero, the House yes. of Representatives, this Planned Parenthood textbook that was uh, being talked about, about putting in fourth grade classrooms. I mean, you know, it seems the legislature can be involved with that, but not social study standards. Why don't you go ahead and comment? And part of the reason, I think, in 2004, we were in a very, very different political climate. And so taking the social study standards and saying we're going to give this to experts, who teach social studies and who are working in the best interests of the child. Uh, as chair of the, the health committees, the health and human services committees, I oversee the board of medical practice. I would never 
insert myself or ask the legislature to insert itself in what is allowed practice in medicine. And so we try to treat education similarly. Mm-hmm. Let experts present. They go through this review period. Mm-hmm. However, we have now moved into a place where education is activism mm-hmm. instead of just core curriculum and building students ready for the future. And so I think it is a worthy debate, a worthy discussion, should the standards have to be brought to the legislature for an up or down vote. Mm -hmm. And I would be open to having that debate. I think there's a risk that it gets even more politicized, Mm -hmm. but we need a solution to the politicization and activism Mm -hmm. of curriculum, whether it's the sex ed curriculum or social studies. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, on that note, uh, the Social Studies Standards Committee is supposed to be a very broad-based group of people um, who are experts in the realm. Um, tell us a little bit about the people that were appointed by Governor Walls for this committee. They're not exactly what we would have imagined. Um, <laughs> no, and, and there were some people who were really quite traditional, but again, this idea of activism and we need we need political perspectives. The political perspectives that were brought in and the activist per- mm-hmm. perspectives that were brought in did not reflect what you and I and parents in Minnesota would consider a good structuring of review of these uh, social study standards. Mm-hmm. And so these 36 members, when a governor can appoint someone, they can try to play it straight mm-hmm. and just focus on your job. And we need experts and people who are willing to look at other states and other ideas. But when you put in political people, mm-hmm. you're going to get a political outcome. Yep. And that's what happened. That's exactly right. You know, we'll, we'll uh, shift real quickly here. We're, we're running uh, short on time here. But Senator Benson, we... we Cannot uh, get through this interview without mentioning to you about the uh, the COVID vaccine situation. Of course, uh, you know, the vaccines have been approved for children now between the ages of 5 through 11. And reports began to surface that Minnesota's largest teachers union, Education Minnesota, was strongly, strongly rather encouraging state leaders to be bold in mass vaccination efforts as they believe all options should be on the table. You know, what are you hearing from Governor Waltz on this? And as the chair of the Health and Human Services Committee in the Senate, what are your thoughts and what are your colleagues saying concerning mass vaccination efforts? Um, first of all, it is not the place of activist teachers unions to tell parents what to do with their kids. Mm-hmm. Parents should go to the doctor. If your child is at risk, um, please be very clear with your doctor what your concerns are about COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, the COVID vaccination isn't on the immunization schedule. So 121A.15, there is a process for putting things like diphtheria, polio, measles, mumps, and rubella. There's a process. COVID is not on that schedule. Mm -hmm. So no school should be telling students, you have to do this. Mm -hmm. So please, I would encourage parents, if you're concerned, talk to your doctor. If you have someone at risk in your home, think about what it means if your child's going to school and possibly bringing the vaccine bringing the virus back, Mm -hmm. but it is not the place of the teachers' unions to threaten, intimidate, or require Mm -hmm. students to be vaccinated Mm -hmm. as a condition of education. Mm -hmm. 
We're glad to we're glad to hear you say that, uh, Senator Benson. We agree with you. Um, and just in like maybe you know thirty forty seconds, um, what would you like Minnesotans to know about you, your run for governor, and how our constituents can find out more about your campaign? You can find out more at Michelle the number four mn dot com. That's Michelle from Minnesota dot com. I'm also on Facebook, Michelle from Minnesota. Public safety, education, and opportunity are the things I want for all Minnesotans, wherever you live, greater Minnesota, where I grew up, the suburbs where I'm raising my family, or the core cities where so many of our families are experiencing this opportunity gap and achievement gap. Mm -hmm. And so when people are safe, which is a core function of government, and they have flexibility and choice in education so that their children's needs are being met. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. What a what a yeah. great, what yeah. a great way um, for us to end our show, Michelle. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you very much. Okay. We'll talk again soon. Okay, bye bye. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.